Tiny Rogues is a mixture of gameplay elements from Hades, Dark Souls, Diablo and Binding of Isaac. On Steam, it received a bit over 3,200 reviews in total. 97% of these are positive. Players say things like best game for the price point and a proper roguelike or one of the best roguelikes I have played this year. Tiny Rogues came out in early access last year and this year, right before Christmas, the developer rolls out a massive update. The developer, Benjamin Bruckmoser from Austria, is our guest today here at Open Indie. Tiny Rogues is the first game he published and he started setting up his own company called Pixelpunk earlier this year. My dear husband Eve talked to Benji about this massive update coming up, about Tiny Rogues in general, its development phase, his gaming career and what it's like to develop games in Austria. Nice to have you on our show. Thank you for having me. Benji, could you tell us a little bit about your game? In special, can you describe a typical run in Tiny Rogues? So Tiny Rogues is a roguelike or a roguelite, I guess. It's like an action, top-down shooter game, like Enter the Gungeon or um, a little bit of Isaac kind of style. So like you run around and you shoot enemies. On every room, you get the choice to either go left or right. And like you get a different reward and then you fight through 10 floors and in the end you fight the big bad final boss and that's basically the game. It's like a, an action traditional rogue, like it's like as, as much traditional as it can get without being turn-based in my opinion because it doesn't have any too gimmicky new mechanics or something like that. It's very straightforward to jump into. I think I put in 30 or 35 hours into the game. Oh. I think what you managed to do quite well is the blend of all of these mechanics. So there are quite a lot of different bits and pieces that just click together and that make the game fun. It's quite interesting because I wasn't even while making the game that aware of this blend, I guess. But the one thing that I always tell people that actually originated the idea was just that I was playing Enter the Gungeon and Nuclear Throne. And the problem that I faced in both of those games is that they like, They were too skill-based, I guess. Like, I, I didn't find any damage upgrades and stuff like that. I couldn't level up. So, like, typical RPG mechanics were completely missing. And then I always uh, was losing. I mean, I won one gungeon round. But then I was like, no, I, I gotta make, like, one of these games. But then you can level up and be stronger and find equipment that carries you. And then, yeah, so that's how Tiny Rogues was born. And um, I played so much Diablo and Path of Exile. So then in the end, my first uh, message to influencers when I was about ready to release the game and I tried to like pitch it to like YouTubers and so on, it was um, Tiny Rogues is a mix of Diablo, Path of Exile, The Binding of Isaac, Enter the Gungeon, Nuclear Throne, and like maybe like three more games. I think uh, Bloons TD6 is also in there and Vampire Survivors maybe a little bit, you know, because it wasn't the hype back then. It was quite the quite a mix of games and that's what also funnily enough intrigued a lot of like uh, content creators then to actually try it because they were like well we usually don't get a pitch like that or an email like that that just lists all these games so yeah you took the things that you did not like or maybe the things that you like put them together in a blender and uh, created your game tiny rogues definitely i i wasn't even aware that it's like one of my strengths to put together a game or and take the best parts of all that stuff like all, like people had to point that out to me after the effect that I did that and I was like it's just a natural way I make games I, I take the things that I like and I leave out the things that I don't like so 
it's for me game development is also because I like to critique other games but very often it comes to a point in where I'm saying I, I rather do it better in my own games than impede on the vision of another game so I just learned programming games so I can make my own games even if I tweak only one thing so nice plan and I think it worked out quite well Benji, I saw on your socials that a new update called Between Heaven and Hell is due in December 22nd-ish. What's your favorite feature in this update? Can you share something that maybe is not yet announced? I mean, there is so much stuff in this update. I announced it last year, I think, early last year. And I was like, this update is going to take three months to make. And then people were like, oh, that's so long. That's a bummer. And now it's the end of this year and the update isn't out yet, so... I really underestimated the workload and my work speed, I guess. But it's going to be worth it. Uh, so right, there is the obvious things. Like there's like 300 new items and like 200 new weapons and like 100 new traits and like more than double the amount of bosses and you can go to heaven and hell and beyond and find new secrets and event rooms. So there's like double the amount of new classes. There so much stuff and so much fundamentals also that are getting improved in the game. But I think my favorite feature is actually a small thing. And I have a feeling it's going to earn me a few negative reviews because a lot of players might not like it at all. And that feature is called Equip Load. So basically every item has like a weight assigned to it now. And so, for example, a heavy steel armor is quite heavy, right? And if you overburden, then like your move speed gets slowed and you have less accuracy and stuff like that. So the reason I like it is because now strength, the actual attribute in the game, it gives you like equip load capacity. And now while playing, to me as a developer, it feels so good from the RPG side, like to pick up strength suddenly. Like previously, I always had people be like, why would I pick up a melee strength build in a bullet hell game? I just want to stay away with my bow in the corner, you know? And now it's like, yeah, but if I get strength, I can like wear these like crazy heavy items that protect me with armor and health and block and so on. So like from like this fantasy and supporting the fantasy of your strength wielder uh, or strength user, it feels so good to me. And so I'm really looking forward to the player reception on that. And I, I hope people also feel the same way. Maybe some uh, ranged class players won't like it because they suddenly can't have 10 dodge dodge points or stamina points and 10 armor points at the same time but you know that's just uh that's just the way it goes so yeah i suppose there still will be some op builds or at least the players will think that they are op it sounds like a restriction but in the end in this kind of game you put in restrictions for the player to break it then right so and that's like a new axis to break the game Maybe you find like that one belt that completely skyrockets your strength and then you put it on on your wizard and now you have a lot of equip load capacity even though you are a wizard and then you play this kind of like battle mage suddenly and like you were able to do that before but it didn't feel that impactful because that limitation wasn't there but now you can break that limitation and breaking things and breaking rules and breaking limitations in games is usually what's very fun in these kind of power fantasy role-playing games that are like Path of Exile and Diablo and Tiny Rogues is just that, but in the from a run-to-run -run basis form, right? So, yeah. 
Absolutely. And also, while you already mentioned Diablo and Path of Exile and the sheer amount of items that you can find in the game is already <laughs> crazy. I can also imagine that it can be quite hard to balance implementing those features like equip loads. Are they with the goal to mitigate these challenges? In a way, it definitely balances the game a little better because currently I feel like defense was too easy to get in Tiny Rogue. So if you look at YouTube and look at runs from people, they like go, go into the last boss fight with 10 health, 4 armor, 3 soul hearts, and then it's like, okay, you got about 20 times you can be hit, which is just too much because at that point you might as well just stand still. And while, hence my, my story about playing Gungeon and I sucked, so I wanted, I wanted Gungeon, but I can get more hit points and so on and get more damage and whatever. So that's still going to be possible and you're still going to be able to build defensively offensively but it's just not going to be as much to that extent so i'm taking away a little bit or i'm gating a little bit of defense behind the equip load which also makes sense because the melee character tends to need to get closer to the enemy so they are in more risk of taking damage so it makes sense to reward them to be able to take more damage as well right so that's what that was the idea Makes absolute sense. I stuck to my thief and to ranged weapons and typically try to stay in motion all of the time. But when I tried melee characters, there's more challenge than with a ranged character. And it doesn't affect weapons at all. So you can still use the weapon you like, because that's very important to me. I feel like the feeling of, like you say, discovering a new weapon and trying it out and being like, yeah, this is good or whatever or not. Like Just like trying out the weapon, seeing something new, that's very important to me. And so I wouldn't like it to be completely Dark Souls, where you find the Zweihander and you equip it and you can't even attack with it, right? So I, I left it out, but it still gives a little bit of that, that satisfaction that the equip load mechanic also in Dark Souls brings, for example, where you equip that Hayward's ring and it increases your capacity and then you just run around and take no damage anymore. So that's like really fun in, in that case too, right? So it brings definitely a little, little bit of that flavor. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the new update. It sounds like there, it was really a huge leap from the last update. You pushed out an update in March this year? I pushed out an update that was called Not the Update. <laughs> not the Update Update. And yeah, that was basically because it had very little content in my book. I actually put in two more classes, but it still... It was a more a lot of back-end changes. So, for example, I, I revamped how the save system works and stuff like that. And I wanted, in, in the preparation for the big update that now comes, wanted to get that out to the players already. So now I don't have to start converting save configuration files of players, right? Now everybody already has the updated file and the new update can just come and provide new content and stuff like that. So it was a good opportunity to release an, an in-the-middle update. Uh, let's talk a little bit about you, Benji, and your journey as an indie dev. When did you start developing games? You prompted me that question before, right? So I, I thought about it the past few days. How far back should I go? I figured I'd, I'd go back all the way, which is basically in like third grade elementary school. I was like, as many people at my age, usually into Pokemon. And I wanted to develop my own Pokemon game and impress my friends. So I googled how to make a Pokemon game, and uh, I also always googled how to program, how to make a game without programming because I didn't know how to program, and I thought it's way too hard to learn. So that took me on a journey of the RPG maker, and I was pretty much 
I'd call it stuck with that uh, during my youth. How to say this? Uh, I, I always wanted to make a game since then or like games. I, I kind of like enjoyed the process of working with the RPG maker so much that at that point I kind of wanted to become a game developer. So everything in my head from age nine onwards was become a game developer, right? I, I was kind of stuck with RPG maker because I didn't know how to program and uh, I didn't really go to the school or university to learn programming and I struggled with my entire education uh, a little bit. But then I found out that actually in the nearest city around here, which is Salzburg, you can study game development. And so then it took me, it kind of like adjusted my path. And it's kind of like a modified um, computer science degree. So then I, I got like my certification to go to university, right? And then I went there and I learned programming there. Uh, that was that started 2018 and then I finished up in 2021 and then I started to work on a game in Unity because we learned Unity and programming at the university. So I started right away and basically that's where I then really started my programming and game developing journey, I guess. But it already started way back uh, with RPG Maker for a long, long time and uh, I, I worked all the time on projects and so on. So yeah. I just didn't know how to program yet. So that was a huge barrier. What a great story. Thanks for sharing it. Yeah, cool. And it's great to hear that uh, you you followed through with the dream of programming your own Pokemon game, then made the leap to full-fledged indie dev. Yeah, and it really shows in Tiny Rogues so many influences from different games, as you already mentioned. So Diablo, Binding of Isaac, Nuclear Throne. I also detected a little bit of Hades with the choose your own reward for clearing a room and Dark Souls. That actually like is a little bit of a continuation of the story because so after like getting my bachelor's degree then I wanted to jump straight into being an indie developer and I started to work on a roguelike and it was called Churika which is like kind of like uh, it was kind of a combination of the words Turrican and uh, Eureka like the the phrase you know and it was like kind of in the the idea was to make a gungeon but it's not about guns and bullets, but about ninjas and they are throwing shuriken, right? So, and I was working on like a very intricate dungeon generation system. And it took me like a few months or whatever, maybe only two or so, but I struggled a lot with it. And then someday I was like sitting here and I watched Hades and I, I looked at Hades and I was like, Hades doesn't even have a dungeon. You just choose if you go left or right. I can probably make a game like that in one week. They, they are... They are cheaping out, right? Like I was like uh, annoyed almost or frustrated. So I was like, they are cheaping out. I can make a game like that in one week. And so I went and took a break from Shurika and I made Tiny Rogues, but not the Tiny Rogues that you guys are playing now. I made like a, like a game jam version of it. And that version was like so much fun to my friends that I was like, I feel like the concept is working better than Shurika. And so I started a new project and it's called Tiny Rogues Remastered to this day. And that's the actual Tiny Rogues that then released. So the Hades inspiration definitely was like also one of the beginnings of the game. So because I, I didn't want to fight with procedural generation anymore. <laughs> yeah, but even better. I think what I really love about your approach is most people typically when they see something, they critique it. And then the story ends there. So they just critique and say, ah, mm, yeah, I could do it better or what. But you actually went ahead and did it. 
<laughs> and then I can imagine when you start doing it yourself, start correcting the things that you critique, that you notice, okay, here, maybe it's not that easy or you come up with your own ideas. If you would ask me what my hot take on game development is, then I would tell you that innovation is overrated because I had, have had it so often in my life that I played a game and I finished it. And then I was like, okay, that was so good. Now I want exactly that. But again, right? Like it's like you, you finish Terraria and you come from the highest dopamine levels. And now you're like, so where is Terraria 2? And then there is no game on Steam that even comes close to it. So I am like one of the person that says, okay, let's program Terraria 2. We don't need to invent the wheel new. We don't need to invent new mechanics. People would be happy if we made that, right? So that's also a little bit of the mixture of Tiny Rogues. Like Tiny Rogues isn't inventing something completely new. It's just uh, remixing and reusing existing concepts in, a, in, in clever ways and combining them um, in fun ways, right? So that that's definitely a little bit of my of my hot take and also my mantra for my career probably because for I, I kind of already spoiled it at some point in my life I want to make like a Terraria game and it's gonna be very Terraria but just more of it because that's exactly what I want from it right so I program things that I want I know it's very cliche and people say people say uh you don't really program the game for yourself but in my case I kind of do because I am kind of like starving to play a good roguelike. So my only choice is to work on tiny rogues because I want to jump back into playing <laughs> my own game right now. And I can't cool. find one to play that is not my game. So I feel like this, I'm one of the few devs that actually makes the game they want to play, I guess. Yeah. There's a common theme around it, especially in the indie community, because there's always a little spin to make it your game. In the indie community, definitely, yeah. And I think that you managed to do that quite well in Tiny Rogues because all of the game influences that I wrote down that I noticed while playing, they really are the things that make those games fun. And to put them together in a blender, that's a cool approach. And I really liked it. Totally. Since you already told us how you got started as an indie dev, uh, could you also tell us a little bit what worked well in your time as indie dev and what you would do different if you had a chance to do it again? Sure. So what worked really well for me was finding a job to, while I was still studying because then companies, they allow you to work part-time. And even after you finish, then you can be like, oh, I just want to keep part-timing. And then you can part-time develop on your, uh, on, your, on your own indie game, right? So that was very valuable to me. And I'm very grateful for my previous job that I had during making Tiny Rogue. So I was part-time working as a web developer. But it's very hard to do that if you just need a job now because people are looking for full-time commitment, I guess. I would be looking for that too, but indie devs have to eat still, right? That's true. So that worked out perfectly because even if Tiny Rogues wouldn't have been as big of a success as it is now, I would have been still financially stable, I guess, and could develop my next game, right? But uh, now that I'm a little bit lucky with how things have turned out, I was able to go full-time. And things that didn't work out, I mean, the only regret I have right now would be my communication about the recent update because I, I hate to like delay it so often, but I, I, it's, it's still a learning process and there is so many things come up always that I can't estimate and then they just screw me over, right? So 
even like in the beginning of the year, for tax reasons, I had to found a, a new company, another company type, you know, and like that took a lot of work and meetings with lawyers and, and, and stuff like that, like not that much, but it still weighs on your mind and it slows you down and you have to drive there and then one day is gone, two days are gone, you know, so like founding the company was also taking away from development time in the early year and then yeah, I completely underestimated how much this like safe state refactor took me, you know, I think like a more than a month to do. And then I got sick with COVID for two weeks. So like, and then like, you know, two months or three months are over and you haven't even started to like implement the, all the new boss fights yet that you promised three months ago. So I definitely learned something about giving dates to players. And also I noticed that estimating dates doesn't really work for players. Players really like to work with deadlines. So if, last time I did an announcement, I said like, I estimate the release date to be that day. In my mind, it was an estimation. And to other to the players, it was like, that's the day it comes out, you know? So I regret saying that. And in the future, I won't do that anymore. And even now for this release date for the update, I, I planned in an extra month so I can be sure to not move it. And that I finally can deliver to my player base. So, yeah. Oh, that's a good learning to have kind of a buffer. You're a solo dev. You have to juggle all of these balls at once. It's really hard. I can imagine, as you mentioned before, the administrative part that comes when you found a company. Basically, you have to do it all on your own. And all the time you spend with the lawyer, you can spend on your computer programming. Up until now, the 48-hour day has not been invented. Yeah, and it's also, for example, not that easy if you start a solo project for a year. And especially if you're still such a newcomer to the business world that you just, quotation marks, just hire some somebody, it doesn't really work, right? Because uh, training that person to work with me and to work with Tiny Rogues, the project now, would take probably, like in the end, it would be efficient. But in the short term, it would take me more time. Like I often debate whether to hire a freelancer now to make, to like make pixel art or a sprite. And I was like, if I hire somebody, I first have to like negotiate a price, then send them references, say, tell them this is this enemy. It should look like this. It has this ability then, and it should use these colors of my palette. And to me, it's like in that time where I do the administrative work of telling somebody what to do, I could have already made that sprite myself. It would be easier if you start out in a project in a group. But right now it's very hard also to get help from other people. I try to outsource a few little things here and there. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's hard. Yeah. I saw in the credits of your game on Tiny Rogues that uh, you had some help from freelancers from Fiverr. What was your experience with that? I love Fiverr, even though I don't like how much they take from the artists there or from the, the sellers. And so, for example, my music producer that made 90 8% of the OST now um, he's way too cheap to this day and I always generously tip but he makes awesome stuff his name is Miguel some number after that but yeah so you can probably find it on the any rogues uh, credits yeah and and also I always looked at for example Gungeon and Archvale and their splash arts like professionally drawn splash arts and I was like where do I get something like that so it's so hard to find artists, right? And and one thing also is that artists deserve to be paid, right? Absolutely. As an indie dev with a zero budget, even an artist that is way too cheap is still too expensive, and that's sad, right? 
So then your best option is something like Fiverr, where it's more like a shop. And you can see this guy will draw me a comic page. And if I tell him this comic page should have a knight on it with gargoyles in the background, I can use that as my splash art. Then that's, and he, and he does this for 100 bucks. Then that's a, a good deal for a starting out indie developer. While if you find a random artist on Twitter, you know, a splash art like that might be worth 500 or more. And, but as a starting indie developer, as a private person, it's hard to, to invest that money, right? So I have good experience with Fiverr because it's so transparent in pricing, even though I feel like it's sometimes a little bit unfair to the artists, but in the end, they choose their own price, you know, and if you feel like they did a good job, you can still just leave a tip. So that's also very, very nice. And in the end of the day, especially when you get started, uh, if you have, as you mentioned before, a zero budget, uh, it's hard to negotiate. And also, uh, if you find someone who wants a percentage of your zero, uh, zero euros, uh, it would also not be that good <laughs> for, for the artist as well. As a new indie dev, you have like no credibility either, right? Like nobody knows you. So to me, it's almost better. I mean, while at first uh, I like watched the game dev stream and I heard like, okay, a professional OST will cost you a few thousand bucks for your game. And I was like, personally, oh, I can't afford that. I have like 300, 200 maybe, right? And so like, fortunately enough, I found Miguel and he worked with me and made like short tracks. But now then Tiny Rose kind of popped off. And even though we, we had no agreement beforehand where I told him, uh, look, uh, I'll pay you then 500 bucks when the game popped off or whatever. Like everybody can say that, but I obviously went back to him and requested more songs and we extended the OST and, uh, and much more stuff. So now I'm like, and I'm paying three times over because the game is earning it and he makes such great stuff, right? And for the next splash art for the Between Heaven and Hell expansion, I will go to the same guy again and I will use his top package or whatever he's, he's selling and so on. So like, in a way you can like, give back them to the to the artists and i think that's also their the seller strategy on the on fiverr that they build this kind of reputation and people come back and so on so yeah no i can only say good things about it if it's a success story like in your case that uh the game really picked up and that you return to the guys who uh, provided you the assets and then maybe something else forms from this cool that's really nice is there any story in your life as an indie dev that you will always remember and that you want to share with our listeners? Mm, there were two days my life changed. Two good stories, maybe one bad story. Uh, I don't know if I tell the bad story, but both were, both were related to content creators because obviously I don't notice. I don't know if somebody starts playing, but I was just like working on the game and suddenly some random guy added me on Steam and... He was like, and I was like, who, who are you? Uh, please, by the way, nobody add me on Steam. I I don't like it. <laughs> but back then I wasn't used to it yet. And then he was like, oh my God, I saw Retromation play your game. And I was like, I can't actually believe it. Retromation played my game. So I went on YouTube and I watched that video in. Oh, and it was like, because I, I, I watched Retromation's videos before. And to me, it was like, now I've, I've made it kind of right though. So, that was awesome. And the second story was quite similar. We actually were participating in a game jam in real life. And then suddenly my phone vibrated and somebody messaged me and was like, dude, Soda Poppin is streaming your game. And I was like, what? And then like, you know, you can, as an indie developer, you kind of climb this ladder of content creators that play your game. And it, it's like your main way of marketing. So it was definitely a step up. And after Soda Poppin liked the game so much, I think he did 
three or four streams in a row on it, it definitely elevated the the, the, the sales numbers and everything to another level. But it, it's just crazy to see like people that I watched on a daily basis almost then actually play my game. Like also Northern Lion play Tiny Rogues. And to me that was like, oh my God, NL is playing my game. What the fuck is going on here, right? Sorry for that. I guess we have one F F bomb for sure. Right? Yeah, all no worries. Yeah, and then like uh, the the one bad story, but I hope I forget it at some point in my life. Maybe not if I tell it on a podcast. It was me being a, a little bit greedy, and I feel a little bit embarrassed to this day because after Retromation um, made that video, I, I had a few emails exchanged with him, and then I asked him if he knows of any any bigger content creators that I that, and he can put a good uh, word in for me. And I feel a little bit embarrassed because to me, I'm already so thankful that he kind of enabled me the stepping stone of promoting my game to like 30,000 people. And then I was so greedy to ask for more and even like in the kind of uh, derogatory way in my mind where I was like, uh, do you know any anybody bigger than yourself? You know, it, it's a, uh, I, I don't like that I, I did that back then, uh, but I hope that he didn't uh, read it like that. Mistakes like this are honest mistakes. You don't strike me as someone who is only optimizing sales numbers. Of course, high sales numbers are good and that the game gets uh, the exposure it deserves. That you agreed to be on our tiny podcast also gives you some karma points in the other direction. <laughs> It's still on my mind sometimes. Uh, why I maybe have those feelings sometimes is because just like the how Tiny Rogues blew up, we're still like, I don't know, we we're like 1% of Vampire Survivors levels of fame. But still, it like puts into perspective what like YouTubers or streamers have to deal with, kind of in terms of messages, emails coming in, and also how these websites, like for me, the Steam, I reckon for you it's Spotify, and for Retromation it's YouTube, how they always like put the numbers in your face, and then your monkey brain is like, I want a bigger number, kind of, you know. So I started to relate more suddenly to streamers and their job and how they fear and how anxiety comes about their view counts and so on, right? So now in the, in, in retrospect, I, I just uh, have a little bit more empathy for those kind of metrics and stuff. So yeah, that definitely plays into it. I can totally relate. It's a learning process. Yeah, it's definitely a learning process. I mean, I sometimes tweet about it where I say like, that I'm so thankful that I'm, I'm, I'm 26 years old and I'm already collecting like experience and um, I call it leveling up in real life right now. Um, and I gain experiences in the industry that some only get when they are like 35. So I got like a huge head start, I feel like, and I'm very thankful for that. And I try to really learn from all my, from all my wins and all my losses. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good approach. Uh, you already mentioned before that after you decided to step up from RPG Maker and you study game development at the university, do you also get some support in Austria or can you tell a little bit about the community and the support that Austria provides for you as an indie dev? So I can't talk too much about it because I'm I'm just so shut in. <laughs> I have not uh, formed uh, that many connections yet, but I feel like the game industry is very much alive and it's it's also growing really really quickly in austria we got like there is one big game dev meetup in vienna it's quite far away from me but they seem really nice and then also um there is like a 
a Discord group or whatever it's called, and it's called Pioneers of Game Dev Austria, and there are a lot of uh, studio heads, I guess, is what or execs in it from Austria, and they're also really nice. So the the entire industry is trying to connect a little bit more, and uh, even I felt that a little bit. Um, yeah, so. I was honestly surprised back then when I started researching if you actually can study game development in Austria, how many choices you got. I feel like there was like three or four uh, universities and you know Austria isn't that big of a country. So um, I was very surprised and I will always be thankful and I I actually want to plug them. My my, uh, university was the University of Applied Science Salzburg and I studied multimedia technology. And without them, like, I would still be, like, super depressed. So uh, it was definitely a saving grace that they offer this game development um, minor. It's it's just a minor, but, I mean, you learn Unity, you learn programming, and so on. So you learn how to make games. Uh, So I can definitely advise anybody who wants to become a game developer in Austria. There is possibilities. There is, I think, universities in Vienna, in Salzburg. Uh, in Upper Austria too, I think, and even like near in, in Germany, like just a few hours across the border, I think there is more too. So it's definitely possible uh, to become a game developer in Austria, like 100%. Uh, yeah, and also we got uh, since a few years the Level Up Festival, which is like 1% of Gamescom in Austria. It's kind of like a gaming festival, and they also got like an indie ar- an indie area. So that's really cool. And I was there this year, actually. And I hope they do the indie area next year again, because it's really nice to meet other developers from Austria there and other indie developers from Austria and to get that spotlight uh, and to, yeah, to experience like a, a little Austrian Gamescom, I guess. It's really nice. Sounds like fun. Yeah, and the plug uh, completely deserved. So it's really nice that uh, you found your way with this games development I feel like it's so hard to be a self-taught programmer. I feel like you really, it, it, it just helps to have somebody guide you for a few months and then it, it kind of gets rolling, right? But the basics, I feel like are really not natural to the human brain or whatever, right? So you need somebody and it helps in the, it helps to have like a educational setting, like a school or a university where somebody teaches you it. Uh, so... I, I definitely can also advise or, or uh, advise on that. Yeah, totally. Great advice for ongoing devs. I recently picked up Python because I did not do programming any in any direction. And I also started with YouTube tutorials and whatever. But it really depends on how you are structured. So for me, it's always good if you have someone who gives you a guideline. Then I picked up a course, a real course, where you have someone who has experience and you can interact with and share your code and whatever. It, it makes... For me, at least, it made quite a difference. And I think, as I heard from your story for you as well, that you got some experienced guys that and girls you can share uh, your your stuff with and really improve on that and get some feedback. And also you find like-minded people in like, these settings, I guess. So my, my best friends I grew to know in, in university and they are also like, they lo- also love game making and programming, so... It helps then that you find like-minded people. For the closing of our podcast episode, any advice and tips you can give to indie devs? Yeah, just figure out how you're going to survive and then make games. And if you're going to make good games, they're going to sell. Like, I don't know how else to say it. 
don't listen to all the haters that say every day on Steam there is 250 games released or a thousand games released. 999 of those games are like hentai anime games that nobody plays, right? Your game will will stand out when it releases and it has good quality and is fun and, and so on, right? So don't listen to the haters, just make games. And even if it doesn't work out uh, on the first game, maybe it works out on the second game. And yeah, definitely. I, I personally I really have a vendetta against the... Uh, against the, the indie industry and the entire sayings like that every indie success story is a one in a million like it's not like that i know a ton of indie devs that just sold the game and they can live from it obviously not everybody is going to be a vampire survivors but i feel like being a tiny rogues is very much achievable as an indie dev uh so go go and chase your dreams right like definitely the most important thing is to get started. Exactly, yeah. Benji, that's it. Thank you so much for being on our show. Good luck with the update, update. so with the Between Heaven and Hell update. If you haven't done so far, check out Tiny Rogues. It's on Steam. We will link to the website and you know where to get it. But basically, when you type it into Steam, Tiny Rogues, you will find it there. And I cannot recommend it enough. It's a real fun game. And as you heard here, it will be even more funner <laughs> in December 22nd. Thank you for having me. And, you know, maybe when the update is released, we now got all the introductionary questions out of the way. If you ever want to have me again and we just nerd out about Tiny Rogue's mechanics, because you seem to have played, what did you say, 35 hours? We can do that too. And I love nerding out about my game and telling players all the secrets and everything they ever wanted to know. So maybe we can arrange something in the future again, you know. Cool. I'll pick you up on that. Thanks for the offer. <laughs>